Imagine living your life after 50 and feeling energized and excited about your future. Welcome to the Women in the Middle podcast, the podcast for women who are ready to figure out what they want and create the life they deserve. Here's your host and master certified life coach, Susie Rosenstein. Hey there, welcome back to the podcast, Women in the Middle. I'm your host, Susie Rosenstein, your master certified coach and midlife mentor. And once again, I'm so glad to be here with you for this week's episode, which is another interview with an amazing woman in the middle who is roaming all around the country in her motorhome, interviewing people about how they've been handling the challenges related to the pandemic. Today's interview is with someone who was laid off during COVID in the spring and was unable to find a job, and her name is Michelle Fishburn. Now, I know that you may have been experiencing this too. Maybe you were laid off. Layoffs this year have been intense. Michelle was a single empty nester, a 57-year-old without a job and without a home. It was pretty clear that she was in a midlife funk. In fact, she says she felt washed up. She was no longer a mother with kids underfoot. They were in college now. She was no longer a high-flying international trade attorney. She was unemployed and couldn't get a job in the COVID market, even though she made a huge effort by reaching out with 86 cover letters to be specific. The way Michelle describes it, she was actually convinced that the best parts of her life were over and that it would be a long, slow, unfulfilling path between now and the end of her life. The thing was that she knew she wanted a fascinating career, a fascinating endeavor. And then it came to her. She hatched an idea. Michelle moved into her motorhome and decided to drive all over the United States interviewing people about how they've been facing life's challenges during the pandemic. Her special project is called Who We Are Now and is drawing fans from all over the U.S., and all over the world. What an adventure. And what a cool story about the way to turn adversity into an opportunity. I know you want to hear more too. So here we go. I'm thrilled to welcome Michelle Fishburne to the podcast. Enjoy the interview. Hi, Michelle. I'm so excited to have you join us today on the Women in the Middle podcast. Hey, Susie. I'm really glad to be here. This is going to be fun. Oh my gosh. When I hear RV... I get all excited. I can't even tell you. Oh, my voice just did something funny. I can't even tell you how many RV shows my husband and I have gone to. We never went really serious like you did, but we did have a pop-up tent trailer that we enjoyed for years, but we did love those RV shows. Oh my gosh. So I just love your story because you've done something that so many people think about doing. But I guess the real part of your story that I want to talk to you about first is, you know, what was going on to you with your 40s that led you to even dream of this kind of an idea? So tell us a little bit about you and what was going on in your 40s. Well, I um, pursued my career with incredible intensity in my 30s and had my children kind of late, I guess, 36 and 38. So my 40s, I was a full-time mom to two young kids and having the time of my life. But what was amazing about my 40s was 
at the same time, my parents were full-time motorhomers and they did it for seven years. And so when my oldest was in kindergarten, I went to a parent-teacher conference and the kindergarten teacher said to me, I'm sorry, but we can't meet your child's needs in the classroom. And I said, what? My kid can't read. She can't write. She can't do arithmetic. She's perfect for kindergarten. And she said, no, no, no. She's interested in concepts beyond her years, like the visible light spectrum, how photo scanners work, tectonic <laughs> plates. <laughs> She's like, we're not going to get to that for a while. And so I said, well, what do I do? And, and I told her that my parents were full-time motorhomers. And I'd always dreamed of going on the road with them. And she said, well, that's exactly how your kid learns. So I went home from that October parent-teacher conference to my husband um, and said, we need to buy a motorhome and I need to go caravan with my parents. And so we did it for 10 months going to the most gorgeous places in the country. We just lived in national parks and state parks all over the United States. Unbelievable. And it was the way, I mean, it's the way any kid learns. It's not just my kid. It's the way any kid learns. Um, we went out to like um, uh, the prairie, the sod houses on the prairie, and got dressed up. Those kids will never wonder what a grass, you know, house looks, a sod house looks like <laughs> on the prairie because they, they were in one in a, ridiculous costumes. Um, they, we, we saw... Um, where the buffalo, the, the, where the Plains Indians would drive the buffalo to be able to, I guess, harvest them, if you will. Um, the kids will never want, it, well, it wasn't through a book. So that was fabulous. I was a homeschooler, obviously. I was a road schooler, which is all the, you know, it's a big deal now. People are talking yeah. about it because of the pandemic, right? So I was road schooling way before road schoolers. And then we did it again for four months up into your neck of the woods, up into Canada, Al Alberta and British Columbia, Wow! Um, uh, two years later, and then again, another six weeks. So I, in my, in the forties, in my forties, I spent my time being curious about the world. And because I was a homeschooler, it was carte blanche. I could learn about anything because the kids knew nothing. So I could learn along with them. So my forties was all about learning. That's so fun. So you you shook up your mindset about what's normal, what's possible, and what's right for your family. Yes, I actually had um, a woman across the street from me when I told her what I was doing. She said, yeah, of course you are. You always have to be different. <laughs> and I thought, wow, that is just such an odd comment. Um but my mom actually had the same thing happen to her growing up. She, um, she was valedictorian of her class and president of her class, but she got married right after high school. I'm 57. So, she, you know, she got married right after high school. And when um, I was in second grade, I guess, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, she went to college. Hmm. And the women on, the, on our street said, why do you have to do that? Why are you going to college? Um, so I come from, and my dad's a maverick. So I come from a family of mavericks. We just, we figure out what our true north is and we go for it. Wow. But going for it with a young family is different than going for it alone, right? So when did you think, you know, I talk a lot about a midlife funk. So this, this sounds dreamy to me. So then what kind <laughs> what happened to create kind of this funky 
funky atmosphere. What happened next? So, so um, then what happened next was my oldest, um, the one who wasn't right for school, apparently. She became uh, fairly nationally known in a teen inventor. And so she didn't know about the adult world and she couldn't interface with the adult world. And also there were lots of um, media outlets that were interested in her, but having her deal one-on-one with reporters was not going to be something that anybody was going to feel comfortable with. Um, A child should not be doing that. So basically I became her PR manager. And then she, it wasn't just, it wasn't really about her inventions that, that caught fire. It's, she believes, and she's right, that everybody can invent. Inventing is just something, it's just problem solving that results in a physical solution. Oh, I love that. And so she spoke at the White House, at South by Southwest EDU, at various, so she spoke all, all over and she said, look, I'm living proof. You just find a problem and you solve it. Sometimes it's physical and that's an invention. So I became her PR manager and I started to learn how to storytell. And I was so fascinated by these other kid inventors. So I rolled into being a PR person for invention education nonprofits. I started doing it as a volunteer and then it became a job when the kids were, you know, more in their preteen and teens. And it was time for mommy to sort of get back on the horse again and do something And then that rolled into entrepreneurship education. So I was a PR and partnerships person for that. And then came the COVID spring and I lost my job. The foundation I was with downsized Mm. and I was in charge of putting together national events for our founder to go to. To do that, he'd have to get on a plane and that wasn't possible anymore. Um, he was actually supposed to go to Collision, which was up in your neck of the woods in Toronto in June. And of course, that didn't happen. He couldn't get on a plane. And so he came to me and he said, you know, I really hate to do this. You're fabulous, but I can't do any of the things that you're setting up for me. Let's just revisit this later on in the year and see where things are. And so I got laid off. So there I was 57, single, with a senior in high school at home. And the lease on my post-divorce house was going to be up on July 31st, 2020. And my youngest was going to college in August, 2020. And so I submitted 86 customized cover letters and nothing happened. So you put the pedal to the metal, basically, on doing what you knew how to do, looking for work in a field that you knew? Right. That's correct. I did. And the thing is, when he when he laid me off, I thought, oh, this is not a problem. I'll just network my way to my next job. And I'm really good at networking. I really enjoy people. And um, uh, and of course, there was no networking. And to be honest with you, it took me a long time in 2020 to figure out how to network virtually. Yeah, you're not alone, right? And it's everything, what happened, it seems like it was in slow motion, but it also seems like it happened quickly. I'm finding this whole perception of time during the pandemic is bizarre. <laughs> like It's just <laughs> bizarre. And doing, yeah, so many opportunities just evaporated. Other opportunities present themselves. Um, but I think this need to start Thinking about things differently is is what the real opportunity is for people. 
Now, I wanted to ask you, though, you mentioned your age. I'm also, we're the same age. And I'm just wondering what you were making that mean, being laid off at that age. What did it mean to you? Well, fortunately for me, and sometimes it's an Achilles heel and sometimes it's like an incredible Wonder Woman strength, but I don't have fear. I have fear for my kids, like stuff that might they might trip into. But other than that, I don't have fear. And so I just I just knew I was going to make it work. But then but then July 15th basically hit and I knew the movers were coming on July 31st and I had no job and I had no prospects. And as of the evening of July 31st, I was going to have no place to lay my head. And that was a really big moment. And of course, it happened in some place that, you know, is really glamorous, like the Target parking lot. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I'm sitting there in the Target parking lot and I thought, okay, Michelle, you have to be able to tell the movers where they're moving your stuff to in two weeks. Wow. And um, I thought, okay, what don't I have? I am not going to have a house. I don't have a husband. I'm not going to have kids to take care of in in my house. Um, Once again, I won't have a house. (laughs) I don't have a job. And I lost part of my hearing and my vestibular functioning in January. That was delightful. So 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 I also had that loss, which had rocked me for a few months. Wow. And so then I thought, okay, well, what do I have? This is all still in Target? Yeah. The parking lot. Okay. In the parking lot. Yeah. (laughs) Did you have a coffee at least? (laughs) Um, Probably my (laughs) second cup of Starbucks. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) And it wasn't raining. So if you want to picture me, I'm in my little Honda, you know, in the parking lot. It's very sunny. It's, it's, it's kind of hot, sunny because right. It's July. And I thought, well, I have the RV. I can move into my motorhome because I still had it from 2006. See, right now, I have to tell you, I'm getting excited because I can see you have a history of problem solving outside the box, right? I so do. I guess you kind of forgot that super skill that you had. But I love setting the stage that, you know, you're on the verge of a freak out, but you're not, <laughs> out, right? It's just the, the housing thing's a bit of a problem to solve. Let's talk about the RV, that RV. So then what happened? So I thought, okay, I've got the RV. At least I know where I can lay my head. And I can know where I can lay Kristen's head too, my 18-year-old, because we've done it before. We can do it again. So I had that. And then literally kind of like a lightning bolt hit me. Are you familiar with Humans of New York? Yes, actually. Okay. Okay. So for your listeners who are not, it is this gentleman named Brandon. He was a photographer, is a photographer. And he lived in New York City, lives in New York City, and he went all over New York City taking photos of people. And his goal was to photograph 10,000 people in New York. And as he went along, he started to hear their stories. And so when he did a gallery exhibit of the photos, he also had the stories with it and then went virtual. And it's this huge hit. And you can go on Instagram now, Humans of New York, and these people, they tell their stories of poignant moments in their lives. And I thought, huh. I could do Humans of New York in a different way. I could take that model and go all over the United States in my RV and interview all sorts of people from all walks of life 
about how they've been making it through the pandemic world and unemployment and restaurant shutdown and bankruptcies and election 2020 and Black Lives Matter and droughts in the South and directos in the West and wildfires. And there's so much to this year, right? So I thought, I'll do that. And that's what I've been doing <laughs> since basically the middle of September. When, and I've covered 6,600 miles. I've interviewed people in 28 states plus DC. And I've interviewed over 100 people and have about 76 people currently on the website. Oh my gosh. So let's just put some context on this. It's basically been three or four months since you hit the road, right? Yeah. I hit the road basically on September 12th. And we're recording this in December, 2020. Right. And so just, just think about how long were you sitting in your car? It was, it was really very short, to be honest with you. It couldn't have been more than five minutes. I was just one of, you know, it was just, it was like, but, but before we talk about radical acceptance, okay. (laughs) And me getting very unstuck very quickly, uh, there was August 4th, I had rented a little Airbnb on Hilton Head Island from my 18-year-old and myself before she went to college. And I'm sitting by myself on, on by the ocean. And I was sitting there saying, okay, let's be honest with ourselves. The interesting part of your life is over. Ooh. The, the future stretching out before you is gray in color. It's just going to be meh, kind of average, kind of milk toast. Maybe you'll find a guy. Maybe you won't. You'll have a job. You won't have a career. You need to have a job because you're divorced, but you won't have a career. You're not going to do something you love. And, and then I thought, you know, if I didn't live another day, that would be okay with me. I mean, it wouldn't be okay with me because I'd leave behind my kids and I wasn't thinking of taking my life, but I was just like, meh. It's kind of over. Oh, my gosh. That's so well, what you just articulated is such a common thought with women our age. We really don't even appreciate it as an optional thought. But we so many of us think the the best part of my life is over. The interesting part of my life is over. And that thought is such a limiting belief. And you noticed it in August at at Hilton Head, which is so beautiful. On the exactly. Ocean. Here I am in paradise and I'm like, life is over. Yikes. And so um, and I shared that out, how I felt um, to um, my two kids, because the oldest came down for because um, we had to take her someplace. And my ex came down as well. And I shared it with them that this is where I am and how I got from there to being just as happy as I've ever been, if not more so. Um, I think it started happening the moment I got behind the wheel of the RV. You know, I, I really, what you just said is so meaningful. And, and I really want to take note that there was a, a, a couple of weeks that happened between this pretty sad and discouraging realization on the beach, but you did give it voice, which I think is actually amazing. Um, and what you ended up thinking when you got behind the wheel of an RV and you hatch this whole plan. But what typically happens is that your thinking has to change, of course. And my guess is that you started to ask yourself a different kind of question and that your brain 
was most likely working on solving it because clearly you're an expert problem solving, a problem solver who thinks outside (laughs) the box. So I think you asked yourself a different question. I have a suspicion. Do you know what it might have been? No. I have a feeling it was, do I really believe this? Or what can I do that's interesting? Something like that. I think you were prompting yourself to spin on that answer. I think that my, for many years, when I would say to the kids, oh, this is going to happen, or oh, that's going to happen, or I have a great idea, we're going to do this, or we're going to do that, or I'm going to be this, or I'm going to be that. And then, and then because I couldn't control most of it, it either wouldn't happen or it would happen at 50%. And so I had all those years of doubting myself and whether the kids were right, like you can't convert. Um, and so I think there was doubt. And, um, and was this just going to be a silly little project that nobody was going to care about? Or was this going to be what I think it could be? But the thing I think I was really excited about is that it was all up to me this time. I didn't work for a company. This wasn't consulting for another organization. I didn't have any constraints other than the ones I placed on myself. And so it was this moment where I could choose to believe in myself. And But that belief didn't start to come until I started to act. And so what I've noticed is the process of getting out there and doing is what lifted me out of being stuck. Yes. Yeah, that's exactly it. And a lot of times we need to do things before we're ready because it's a change. It's a change. And then we start to just think and feel different things. And I love that you noticed that. And the RV has been so symbolic for you. So many happy memories connecting with your kids, connecting with your parents, doing the traveling, doing the exploring, doing the learning. I mean, to me, it just symbolized everything that you loved. And freedom. Because I remember the first time that I was, my ex drove, my husband at the time drove away and it was just me and the kids in Florida at the Disney World Fort Wilderness Campground. Okay. So, and he drives away and it's just me and the kids and this sense of like, freedom. I get to go wherever I want to. (laughs) It was. And so the sense of freedom now and that it's limitless is huge. And um, one of the things you and I haven't talked about is who was I Mm. before I had kids, right? I was an international trade attorney in Washington, D.C. for a decade, flying all over the world for Fortune 50 companies and I was at some of the top, I was at two of the top law firms in in the country. Wow. So when you said you really focused on your career, that's, (laughs) you really did. I really did. And so that Michelle really believed in herself. Yeah. In the twenties and in my early thirties. And, and I believed in myself as a homeschooler, but it was really when I tried to somehow do something outside the home after homeschooling. And things didn't pan out the way I was hoping um, that the doubt started to set in. And, yeah. uh, and, and you know what? There's another thing too. Somebody on Facebook, I hate Facebook and I love Facebook. <laughs> I love Facebook for the fact that I get to be connected with people from 
high school, <laughs> from college, law school, and friends who've moved away and friends who live in town. Anyway, so a friend of mine who I'd homeschooled with, she said to me, well, she put on Facebook, well, you've probably heard this from your own dad a hundred times, if not thousands of times, but my dad always used to say this to me, if something's worth doing, it's worth doing badly. And I kind of shook my head. I'm like, no, my dad always said, if something's worth doing, it's worth doing right the first time. (laughs) (laughs) And at first I kind of rejected what she had put out there. But then the more and more I thought about it, it's so empowering because of course, anything you're going to do, you're going to do it badly right in the beginning. And that's about giving yourself grace. Um, And still believing in yourself when you're taking those baby steps in anything. And, um, and so that was very powerful for me. And I think that came, came through in August. So it was after the Hilton head beach moment. See, so it started to, yeah. What could I do if I didn't make failure mean that I was a disaster? Yes. What would it be like if failure was part of growth? Yes. Yes. It was failure. Exactly. Exactly. And I think also on the doing thing, if I had tried to launch something, now this is just me, if I had tried to launch something new, but I was still in the same walls in which I live, my house or my community, whatever, and I was launching something new, I don't think I would have gotten the slingshot, the catapult that I got from getting behind the wheel of that RV and just going to the open road. Because I think that to have that what's around you reinforce this sense of starting out on my own and, you know, a new place, a new idea and using my energy going forward. Cause that's what you're always doing, right? You're going forward. I think that really helped. The symbolism, the timing of the idea and the event, like you did, you just let go of so many things. It was easier for you to, seize the day, like to really act freer, you know? Yes. Yes. Amazing. And then, and then one of the things that was delightful has been really delightful about this project, who we are now is that it's all about people other than myself. So every day I get to learn somebody else's story. Every day I sit and I spend quality time interviewing other people. And it's not about me. And, and, and just like when you go to a play or you read a book and you get little nuggets that you take away for your own life, that happens in every interview. I love that. And I have to tell you, that's one of the most enjoyable things about my job, too. I love talking to you about how you unstuck yourself and how you found such incredible fulfillment again after you thought you were washed up at 57. Come on. I know. (laughs) So tell me then, did when with this project of yours, who we are now, 2020. Well, it's actually going to have to change because yes, it's 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 who we are now because I realized as I was going, and people said, "This is a fabulous project. Is this a book? Is this a documentary? You're doing an oral history." And so when people started asking me, what is this beyond the website and social media, I realized, well, I said, you know, I'm not going to be out there signing books at Barnes and Noble. That's not what's going to happen. I'm not interested in doing that. But then I realized this has to be a book. 
because it's actually an oral history of uh, the mosaic of American experience during a historic period during the pandemic. And, and so it has to be a book because it has to end up in the Library of Congress. So then when I realized that what I was doing has uh, a historical significance, I decided I'll definitely take this through the winter. So the plan is to head out from North Carolina to San Diego on January 9th and to take this at least through the end of March because we're in for a tough winter. And as the vaccine goes around, things will get better and better, but we're not done. And it would be kind of odd for me to wrap up. So now it's just who we are now. Um, And on Instagram and Facebook, it's who we are now USA. And on the website, on the web, it's who we are now.us. I love it. And of course, I'm going to put all those links in the show notes. You know, any opportunity to get out of winter sounds like a great plan to me. (laughs) (laughs) I know I'm taking the Southern route. I'm just dropping down into Georgia and Alabama, Mississippi, and I'm hitting the most Southern part of Texas. And then on my way back from San Diego, I'm still going to try to stay, probably take 40 back through the top panhandle of uh, Texas and Oklahoma and stuff. Oh my gosh. So interesting. You know, and of course, most of us have a love and hate relationship with Facebook. But one of the things I really appreciate Facebook is how easy it is to share historical photos. And some of those pictures from the 1918 pandemic mm. have been fascinating. Yeah. And every single time I see one, I click on it and I read about it. And so what you're doing does have historical significance Stories do need to be told. In some ways, things are so different. In other, in other ways, it's very much the same as it was back then. And so tell me how doing something that has historical significance um, helps your motivation. I know because it has historical significance, I know it will live beyond me. Mm. And, you know, having, so my oldest child is, internationally known as a, a young inventor and and she's been in the Smithsonian is going to be in the Smithsonian again in 2021. Um, who she is, the fact that she lived and the fact that she uh, what she did regarding invention education is going to live beyond her. And um, and that's neat for her. And I never really wanted it for myself, but now that I am in it, It's very cool to know that I'm putting together a body of work that in a hundred years, somebody will be saying, you know, yeah, there's the statistics and there's this and that. Did you read those Fishburne interviews? Those who we are now interviews? There's some that there's some texture in there that you just don't get from looking at the statistics or a compendium of the New York Times articles. And so I'm doing something that nobody else. I mean, who the heck else is driving around the United <laughs> States in a motorhome during the pandemic? And by the way, I've been careful and I wear a mask and I do not have COVID. So, um, but who else is doing this? I mean, it is, it's kind of crazy. A single 57 year old woman driving around in her motorhome with her dog during a pandemic. <laughs> I'm so glad that you mentioned the dog. Let me just ask you a couple questions about what your life is like, not the interviews, but what is your actual life like on the road? Very, very busy. 
And um, I went from, you know, sitting alongside the ocean wondering, how am I going to fill my days? They're just going to be so dull to waking up sometimes at 4.30 in the morning in the RV saying, Michelle, you need to go back to sleep. You can't wake up and start this doing this again. I get so excited about each day now and waking up. So I'm literally working from about 7 a.m. till midnight or 12.30 every day. And um, I have a dinette um, and I sit at my dinette and I have a dog who's a Shih Tzu. His name is Buddy. And he, he and I talk during the day. And, um, you know, I, uh, the, the tricky part is I'm a one man band. I have to figure out where I'm going, my campsites. I have to figure out where I'm going to stop, who I'm going to interview. I have to reach out to them. And then I have to take the transcripts from the interviews and convert them into stories, figure out the photos. So, and then pitch myself for media and write articles. And so it's constant. Um, You'll but I feel very alive. You Sorry? have to cook. You have to figure out how to. How I to almost I think power. I pretty much eat the same thing almost every day, which takes like I just all I want to do is my project. So I just wake up and I have two cups of coffee and I have my yogurt and granola and my my pecans and blueberries. And then I have some kind of meal for dinner. And um, yeah, so that's I don't even think about that very much. Well, do you plan a week at a time, for example? <laughs> no. <laughs> You're winging it? <laughs> I know where I'm going and I know where I have to be by certain times. And that sometimes will switch around by a day or two because the, the magic, okay, is when I reach a town that embraces me from the moment I have the first interview or maybe before. And then you get in that town, they say, oh, you can't leave yet. You've got to talk to so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. And, -so and, -so. and you almost become an honorary member of the town. In fact, last night I was missing some of my favorite towns and I sent emails out to some of my new friends who I'd interviewed and said, can you guys send me photos of what your town looks like decorated for Christmas or what it looks like with snow? Cause I'm kind of missing it. So Shamrock, Texas and Corinth, Mississippi and Raton, New Mexico and Okmulgee, Oklahoma. I'm, I'm missing them. And um, so when I find those towns that I love, I just kind of hunker down for a few more days than I probably, then I usually have, so that I, I, then I push things out. So I really do live day to day. And are you in a Walmart parking lot or in a, in a RV park? Like where, where are you? Um, I'm in campgrounds. I'm in RV campgrounds. I stay, I stay nice and safe. And um, my kids and I once ended up in a Walmart parking lot um, early on when they were four and seven, because the campground we were in gave me the heebie-jeebies. But other than that, I've always been in a campground. And that, yeah, that's good. So then you have some services and you have some safety and you have some park rangers and things like that. Yeah. <laughs> the biggest issue is always Wi-Fi. The campgrounds tell you, oh, we have Wi-Fi and you get there and they really don't. And so I have a hotspot and a, an, an extra, an extra hotspot too, for when that one runs out. Yeah, that was my, we noticed that too, when we were camping with young kids, the Wi-Fi was comical. <laughs> There's no Wi-Fi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> comical is a good, good point. And, and one of the things that a lot of people wonder about is, Michelle, how do you find these people to interview? And so I know I'm going from point A to point B, and I go look at the towns that I'm going to pass. And I look at the size and then I go to their Facebook pages 
So for example, Valdosta, Georgia, I thought, okay, well, I have to go up through Valdosta and I went to their Facebook page and to their local newspapers, online articles. And there's this guy named Caleb who started a, a mobile ax throwing company during the pandemic. And by the that's, way, he says that women are much better at axe throwing than men are. <laughs> he said he doesn't know if that has to do with rage levels or what, but he said we are much, much better. Um, so I saw that he had just opened his first brick and mortar location. And I thought, oh, that would be really cool. So I reached out to Caleb and said, hey, I'm coming through Valdosta. Can I interview you? And then I started to dig deeper. And he said, yes. So I got one hook, right? And then I dig deeper and I see that there's this woman who's a professor who's made this huge face mask for a statue at Valdosta State University. So I reach out to her and say, can I interview you And while I'm there? And then it just went crazy from there. And But then also it jumped over to the other part of the United States because Colette, who did the face mask, is an auntie. There's a, a comedian in LA named Christina Wong who was in the middle of her USA tour when COVID hit. So she picked up her Hello Kitty sewing machine, literally a Hello Kitty sewing machine, and made her first mask. And now in December, by the end of the year, she has now a group of hundreds of aunties all over the country and in Canada, and they will have delivered 250,000 masks as volunteers. And so I interviewed Christina yesterday. So that's how things kind of go. I use Facebook and the local online newspapers and find a few interesting stories, go, and then things kind of go exponential sometimes from there. I have to tell you, I am thrilled that I got a chance to interview you for a change, right? (laughs) Because your mind thinks like mine does. Like, who can I find that's interesting? Who has an interesting story to tell about courage, about problem solving? about a mindset shift that was so necessary. Like it breaks my heart to think that you thought that the best part of your life was over. And that is such a common thought. And it is just a thought. It's optional. And look how quickly, like that little timeline of that August disaster on the beach, (laughs) that disastrous little chit chat with yourself to when you completely reimagined what was possible and hit the road in a way that just symbolized everything that you loved. It was so, so beautiful. And what would you say some advice is that you would have to somebody, another woman in the middle out there, somebody in their 50s who's feeling stuck in the middle of a midlife funk? What's the thing that you can offer that could really help change things up? You know, I just, I was thinking about that actually the other day. And no matter whose teenagers you have. You obviously only ever have your teenagers. But based on things I've heard from other moms, all teenagers think that we did a bad job in one way or another. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And we didn't go into motherhood with the goal of doing a bad job. We went into motherhood with the goal of loving the heck out of these little, little beans and and having joy and having ha- and doing everything right. And teenagers are really, really good about telling us what we did wrong and where we're coming up short. And then, of course, they change and they, re- they, they start to appreciate us more. But for those moms 
who are starting their next new adventure, their next chapter, sometimes the voices of your kids are too loud in your head. Yes. And you have to remember that your own truth, you know, actually deep down who you are and you know who you were before you got married and start having kids. And you're that same person, but actually you're that same person, but so much better because you've had all those years of skill building and experiences and you've gained wisdom and you are more powerful and capable than you have any idea of. And I don't know how you learn to sit with that. I don't know how you learn to find that again, to be honest with you, Susie. I mean, I obviously did not have it when I was sitting by the ocean. Yeah. It's it's, like I said, it's very common with my clients and it starts with raising awareness of what you're actually thinking and questioning it. Like, do you like your reasons for thinking that and realizing that those thoughts are optional? But most of us don't even appreciate that it's a it's a thought. It just feels like truth. Yeah. It yeah. just feels like truth. Yeah, I'm 57. Yeah, I got laid off. Yeah, the best part of my life is over. Oh, nothing exciting will ever happen to me again. You know, I um a couple of years ago I was invited to a dinner party. And, you know, we sat down and I didn't know the people I was sitting next to. And it was a an older woman. And I didn't know how old she was. I was imagining over 80. And I thought, oh, I I was hoping to sit by somebody interesting. You know, this was probably 20 years ago. I had that thought. And then I remember having the most fun talking to her that night. She was fabulous. She had just come back from an African safari. She, She had so many cool stories. She was wearing this beautiful jewelry. She was funky and she was fun and adventurous. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, my God, I'm so thankful I had that experience and caught myself thinking something so negative about an older woman. And I'm so thankful I had that experience because I realized very soon, minutes after I had that thought, that I was completely wrong. And how dare I have that thought? Mm -hmm. Who do I think I am that I can have those judgments? about age. And so I tell that story because it's a little embarrassing. But on the other hand, we don't even know what our thoughts are unless we train ourselves to look for them. You know, and I think that's really the beginning. But I love that you brought out that our kids are very articulate telling us what we're doing wrong. Yes, they are. My kids don't think I'm funny. And I'm like, you know what? I don't believe you. I think I'm funny. Well, you can think that if you want. <laughs> so I, you know, and 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 to put it into something very visual, it's very simple but very visual. I remember when my kids were younger. Well, when when they were very young, we would sing in the car and we we belt it out and we'd all wiggle and stuff. And and then as they got into their teenage years, particularly my youngest, mom, don't do that. Don't. <laughs> Stop. I see. I see you're like wiggling a little bit. I'm like, oh, my God. And it's like, mom, why are you singing to that? And she's singing, but I'm not supposed to be singing. Right. 
And so I become this kind of inert, boring chauffeur. Yes. And and whenever I want to do something fun, they're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> and 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 I and also I'm the kind of person whenever I see a statue, I want to just go up and take a picture with it and pose with it because I think it's hysterical. And my kids are like, no, mom, don't do that. No, mom, stop. So one of the things is they want, they actually want the fun person. But there's this period they go through where they, for some very strange reason, they don't want us to be fun and interesting and joyful, although they really secretly do. Mm. And so we, we emerge from their high school period as people who are a fraction of ourselves often. And then when they go, we get to go and be the fun people we always were. And, and if you extend that to being stuck and unstuck, so if you extend it to something, you know, like a, a career or uh, um, an endeavor, uh, a project, it's the same thing, which is either you may be in a period where you think, oh, I can't do this, but you know you can. Like, I know I can sing off key better than anybody else. And I am fine with that when I am in the car. And so fine. So now that I don't have the kids there to tell me don't do it, I can do it as much as I want to. Your dog doesn't care. My dog doesn't care. <laughs> so so I think, you know, um, to women who are listening and they're wondering whether I can, what can I really do something that really aligns with me and makes me excited again? Can I get unstuck? Just think about that very simple example of being in the car and what you what you sort of relegate yourself to be able to do when you had the teenagers. And, and, and getting unstuck is as simple as deciding, no, I'm just going to do what I want to do. And exactly. I've got confidence. It's a decision. Getting unstuck, it's just a decision and a thought that you can get unstuck, you know. And then it's okay to do it badly in the beginning. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. Michelle, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you for I've a change, fun, Susie. <laughs> interview you about your process. You tell us the website. The website is www.whowearenow.us. There we go. And it will be in the show notes. Absolutely. And it, it's going to be a great way to keep on, you know, keep tabs on you, see what you're up to and how you're avoiding the winter and discovering really fun quirky, interesting people that are just coping and doing the best they can, just like all of us during this unique and very strange time in our yep. lives. Yes. Yeah. Thank, Thank you, you. Susie. Thank you so much. So good, right? Talk about noticing some of those scary, icky thoughts that so many of us have in midlife. Michelle noticed that she actually thought that the interesting part of her life was over and that the future would be average. I always talk about this kind of thinking as kind of being a downhill slide to the finish line. <laughs> it's so important to see if you believe anything like this because it is such a limiting belief about what is really possible for you. Now, in Michelle's case, her breakthrough idea was born out of necessity. She had to find a place to live and had to do so without a job. So she had to create something to do. What I love about her creative solution is that it was based on something that she always loved, hitting the road in an RV. And when she did that again at this point in her life and started driving through the country, 
She was overwhelmed with feelings of confidence, independence, freedom, and hope. She also recognized the amazing feeling of creating something on her own. She loved it. And there was another big epiphany by creating her own post-marriage, post-mom life. She challenged her old thinking and discovered that she had the power all along to make the rest of her life really, really interesting. She didn't have to wait for it. She didn't have to respond to it. She could create it herself once she changed her thinking about what was possible even at her age. And you know what? You can do that too. Okay, that's it for this episode. As you know, my focus as a midlife coach is to help you waste less time spinning and feeling stuck about aging, about empty nest, about relationships, about your career, about being more compassionate toward yourself, about all of it. It's time to get excited about your life again. Remember what I always say, being the queen of your brain domain is the best way to be, and I am here to help. This is what you'll learn when you hire me as your coach. Learning mindfulness concepts are one thing, but when it comes to applying the concepts, that's when you really benefit from coaching. And I can help you grow faster. You'll see the connections and insights more clearly. And we laugh a lot too, because you learn to be more curious and more compassionate with yourself. It's so good. And it's such a beautiful gift. So head over to www.talktosusie.com and you can apply there. For show notes and links, head over to www.coachwithsusie.com. Let's do this, ladies. It's time for you to put yourself first one thought and maybe even one adventure at a time. Thanks so much for listening and I'll talk to you next week. 